0: John chapter 14 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. We've been here the last uh, two weeks, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter 14, verse 7, and read through 11 the sermon entitled, Show Us the Father. Show us the Father. John 14, verse 7 through 11. We're going to be in the Gospel of John um for a while next week brother larry of course is coming and preaching the word to us on our homecoming day and then after that we are going to be uh trying to get through a lot of the gospel of john for the foreseeable future and so i encourage you to continue to study along to study deep to meditate on the word of god as we walk through uh, god's word together john 14 7 through 11. If you would, if you're there, uh, join me by honoring God's word with your uh, standing as we consider the fact that God has spoken to us through his word. John 14. We'll start at verse 7. And here's what the word of God says. If you had known me, Jesus speaking, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Verse 8. Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us.'" Jesus said to him, "'Have I been with, so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip?' He who has seen me has seen the Father, how can you say, "'Show us the Father.'" Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's join him together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you That in Christ you have shown us the Father. Or that everything we need to know about God has been given and revealed to us in your holy scriptures. And yet, Father, there seems to be uh, in, in my life and in the lives of many Christians I know, a sinful longing for something more than your revealed word. Lord, you remind us through your word this morning that your revelation to us your special revelation to us as your people through the word of God is sufficient that it is enough for us and that you have shown us the father for everything we need pertaining to life and godliness would you encourage our hearts this morning we pray in Jesus name amen amen thank you you may be seated Well, many of you know my daughter Adeline, who is now uh, three years old, and uh, she's in that question stage that kids go in. Uh, You know, they start with the whys and they become philosophers all of a sudden, right? And then uh, now she's transitioned to her new favorite, which is what else? That's her favorite question right now is what else? And so when we go to bed every night and I lay her down, I, I, I think as a motivation for her getting some rest, I've got to amp up tomorrow, right? I've got to tell her everything we get to do tomorrow. So even last night as we're lying in bed, I, I, I tell her, baby girl, guess what we have for tomorrow? And she says, what? And I said, we get to celebrate Christ with our church family tomorrow. And her response is... And what else? Yeah, and so I try and go to all the intricacies of that. Well, you get to go to Miss Martha's class with Miss Joyce, and she gets to teach you about Jesus. And what else? And you get to see your friend Avery Jade. I'm sure she's going to look so beautiful, and you're going to be so excited to show her your dress. And what else? Right. And then afterwards, maybe we get to go to lunch with our Sunday school class, and you can have lunch with all your friends, and it's going to be great. And what else? And then uh, hopefully we get to go home and take a little bit of a nap and another rest, and then come back and celebrate again with our church family. On Sunday night yeah and what else and maybe Gigi will be there it'll be wonderful and maybe Ellie Joe will come and what else it just always always is never enough right whatever I say however elaborately I can describe the next day that question seems to follow and I thought about that as the discontentment of our own human nature right We all have that naturally in us to be discontent with whatever we've been given. And I think we do that especially with the word of God because I've seen that in my own life. There have been times where I'll be at a a point in my life where I'll want to know what God's will is on a certain situation or even studying doctrinally and and trying to distinguish things that are difficult to distinguish in doctrine and uh, theology And, and I'll look at God's word and I'll say, yeah... I kind of get what it's saying there, but God, I want something else. God, would you just speak audibly to me? Maybe, maybe tell me in a dream, that would be cool. Or, or how about you just give me a theophany like one of the great prophets of old and send an angel to come give me a message. I, I just, I, you know what, let's just, let's just keep it easy. Lord, if you want me to do this, cause a firefly to... Th- fly right in front of my face right now like give me a sign give me a miracle confirm something in me I just and what I've recognized about that longing is it's not necessarily always a bad longing but it's 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 slapping the sufficiency of scripture in the face it is saying to God that what you've given me in your word father is not enough what else what else do you have for me I think we get there as Christians and I think what we have today in our story is a perfect example of a disciple saying what else and Jesus reminding him there is no what else Jesus is the what else And scripture is sufficient in his revelation to us. So as you might remember in the previous verses where we've been, uh, uh, Thomas actually, Jesus said to disciples, you know the way. And then Thomas, remember, responded, okay, how can we know the way, Jesus? To which Jesus answered, I am the way, right? Well, here in our passage, what we have is a similar dialogue as we've already said. This time between Jesus and his disciples and especially the apostle, the disciple Philip. Jesus tells the disciple uh, in verses 7 and 8 these words. He says, If you had known me, you would known my father. And also from now on, you know him and have seen him. And then Philip responds to that statement with, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. See, just as with Thomas Philip doesn't immediately understand what it was that Jesus said to him or how it was that he, Philip, should have known that Jesus and the Father are one. So Jesus lovingly then goes on to show him how it was that he had already seen the Father and that the revelation he had been given by God was sufficient enough for him to know these particular things. And the two examples of Thomas and Philip we are shown how important it is for us to pay attention to the revelation that God has provided for us. Because the revelation we've been given, it is sufficient, it is enough to be our rule as to what we are to believe and how we are to believe in all matters and faith in life. It is everything we need. So we need to pay attention to what it's saying. No doubt there are times when we fail to appreciate the revelation of God that he's provided for us in his word. There are times when we might, as we've said, wish that the Lord would reveal himself in some more fully spectacular manner. Thinking that perhaps a miracle or some other phenomenal manifestation of himself is just what we need in order to be strengthened in our faith. Just what the world needs actually. In order to start believing in Christ. As we will see in this account. The revelation we've been given in God's word. Friends, it is more than sufficient to give us what we need. And we start by looking that Jesus reveals a truth to us plainly. Jesus begins by stating his truth plainly. It's a plainly stated truth. He tells them, I am in the Father." And the Father is in me. Simple. He tells them, I am one with the Father. Now, this was something that Jesus had taught them and shown them from the beginning of his ministry. Yet, here we are three years later. Remember, at the last week of his ministry, and they still haven't fully grasped this truth. They're still wrestling with it. Nevertheless, Jesus tells them, from now on, you have known him and you have seen him. In other words, Jesus won't allow Philip or any of the other disciples to remain in their misunderstanding or ignorance. He's going to clarify things to them. He is going to make it crystal clear to them that he and the father are one he's going to graciously and lovingly correct them and give them the correct teaching they need so they can rightly understand who he is and who the father is so he does this by stating this truth plainly and yet so profoundly because this is important stuff you cannot miss this we're dealing with the deity of christ we're dealing with Jesus saying and making it clear to everybody that He is God. So Jesus said again in verse seven, "If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him." This is one of those statements that I think my wife sometimes gives me, uh, where it's where it's 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 given in order for me to ask questions about it. Right? You know. Uh, that's a trap by the way fellas just to let you know always is always will be but questions a statement like this that Jesus gives is kind of you can kind of see how he's provoking questions that's a that's a difficult thing to handle in what God is saying in in that particular sentence and so of course they're going to ask questions and in fact even when we come across this full revelation of God in the scriptures we're prone to stop here at this statement and scratch our heads to make sense of it aren't we What's Jesus saying here? How is it that they've already seen the Father? How is it that knowing Jesus is equivalent to knowing the Father? These are the questions that Jesus provokes in this statement and they're questions that he will lovingly go on to answer. So Philip reveals his lack of comprehension when right after Jesus says this statement, he says, show us the Father. Just think about that for a while. Right after Jesus says, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father, Philip says. I got a good question. Could you show us the Father? <laughs> that, that, that's that, remarkable. Right on the cusp, he's saying, "Well, uh, I, I, no, we want to see the Father. Then it'll be enough for us, Jesus. Then we'll believe." That's Philip's request. That's the second thing we see in the text: is Philip's request to show us the Father. Philip wants to see. The Father. That's what we see in verse 8 of our text, isn't it? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Since Philip didn't quite get what Jesus had just said, or perhaps he thought, He might have missed his opportunity, the unveiling of the Father on some previous occasion. He asked Jesus to show them the Father right then and right there. In essence, Philip was asking for more revelation from God, for a fuller revelation of God. Maybe maybe like Moses, Philip wanted to see God with his own eyes. That's a good desire we all have. We want to see God in his fullness, in his presence, in the fullness of his glory. That's something, Lord willing, we will see one day as the people of God. So it's not an altogether odd or unthinkable desire that Philip has here. But in a lot of the context of this passage, in a lot of what Jesus had just said to him about being the way, about him, the Father, being one, what, what basically Philip is saying and asking here is for more revelation. Now, when you think about it, this is the same thing, if not, That all of us, or if not most of all people, desire, isn't it? We want this. How many times have you heard people say, I just wish I could hear God's voice. I I wish I could just see God with my own eyes. How often do you hear people say that they would become a Christian? They would believe in God if he would simply show himself. Many people, even Christians, are under the impression that if God would just show up and do something miraculous, it would remove all the doubts in this unbelieving world. Is that the case, though? Is it? Would Christians have stronger faith if God would show himself in some miracle? Would all the unbelievers in the world all of a sudden become God-fearing Christians if God were to show himself to them? See, if that were the case, if you're thinking the answer to that is yes, well, let me ask you, why didn't it have more of an impact on the disciples then? They had God in the flesh, God in human form with them and not in just that occasion. They had him with them for over three years and they still doubted. Think about all they saw. Think about the three years they had with God in the flesh. What more could a person want or need out of Jesus to prove to them that he was God? They heard and saw things we couldn't even possibly imagine. We only get a glimpse of it in the scriptures, by the way, of the things Jesus did or said. They were with him day in and day out. They saw things we don't even know about. What about the unbelievers? Did they have enough? What about the unbelievers that Jesus comes in contact with in the gospel account just in John? Do you recall what happened when God actually did reveal himself speaking from heaven earlier in John chapter 12? Let's look at that. John chapter 12 verses 27 through 29. I want you to see this. This is what happens. This story, Jesus says, now my soul has become troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus is about to go to the cross, remember. And so he prays this. He says, Father, glorify your name. The Bible says that a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And then the reaction, what's the result of that? We read in verse 29. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it saying that it had thundered and others were saying an angel has spoken to him so here we have an example of God revealing himself showing himself speaking from heaven but notice what some of the people heard those without faith only heard thunder even though God had spoken Not only were they not able to understand what he had said, but they couldn't even make out that he had uttered anything intelligible. Likewise, how many miracles did Jesus perform in this gospel account in the presence of multitudes and yet people would still not believe he's God? The fact of the matter is, folks, that the reason for unbelief, as we've said time in and time out through this gospel account, is not due to a lack of evidence, nor is it due to a lack of reasonable argument for the existence of God. There is plenty of evidence that God exists, and there is nothing more reasonable or logical than to conclude that God exists and that his son is Jesus Christ. It's not a lack of evidence, a lack of solid arguments, it's a lack of faith that accounts for the widespread unbelief in this world and listen not just a lack of faith in general but a lack of saving faith in the God of the scriptures because in the general sense everybody has faith don't they if you don't believe in the one true God, you do believe in something, either in some other so-called God of another religion, or you believe in the unproven theories of the scientists that believe that all of life came into being as a result of chance. That is faith. You are believing in something that can't be proven, right? Everybody believes in something, but the reason people fail to believe in the one true God is due to the fact That they lack saving faith. That's it. That's the explanation. Sadly, even true believers fall into this mindset of thinking that they need something more from God. As I said, it's something I struggled with more or new revelation for God. Because think about who's asking this. Who's asking for more? This is Philip. And the good news for us in reading this text is, is we know that Philip was a believer. So we know Philip and us can fall into this trap. We can go back and look at earlier in the Gospels and look at this character of Philip and see that many wonderful things are said about him. He shows true and living faith, yet here he is at this point still struggling, still wanting more revelation. So we know this is a reality that can happen to a true believer. But church family, we do well to keep in mind what Peter taught us in his second epistle. Now, Let's think about the character of Peter, by the way. If you haven't come in the last couple Wednesday nights, we've been considering him on Wednesday nights. But let's think about who Peter was. He's a disciple of Christ. He was one of the disciples who saw miracles and works of God firsthand with his very own eyes. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there at the empty tomb. He saw, touched, and spoke with the resurrected Christ, along with all other kinds of spectacular events. But does he ever in any of his epistles tell the saints the christians that he's writing to that what they need in order to be strengthened is to have the same kind of displays of god's glory that he saw with his own eyes no does he tell people what they need to chase after in order to be strengthened in this life are supernatural signs from god does he ever say those kind of things No, he never once says those sort of things. In fact, he says something quite the contrary. What he does tell us in 2 Peter 1, 19, just after reminding his readers of his personal experience of seeing Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, look at what he says. He says, So what we have is the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Peter tells us what we need is what we already have. What we need is what we already have. The revelation of God through his holy word, the scriptures. This is what we need. And in fact, when we ask the question, God, would you show me more? The question should be directed towards God, would you you show me more of your word? Would you diligently discipline me to go down and mine the depths and the caves of wisdom that's found in your word, that I would see it clearly? Friends, that's what we need. If we need to be strengthened in our faith, then what we need is more time in the word of God, not more time looking around for signs or wishing God would give us something more. And as for the unbelievers, the same goes for them. As noted earlier, what the unbeliever needs most is faith. And you remember what Paul's prescription was for faith in Romans 10? What does he say you need for faith? Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. See, some Christians think that what they need to be better witnesses to the lost is become better philosophers or uh, better debaters, apologists. But church, that's not the answer. What we need in order to be better witnesses to the lost world is to be better at knowing how to share God's word with people. Because that's where the power's at. The word of God is what changes hearts. And if you're a Christian, if you're a true Christian, you know that because it was the word of God that changed your heart. One pastor, Rick Phillips, put it like this this week. He said, if we want to experience power to tear down stronghold, Paul says it comes from God's word, which will destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. That's why, by the way, God says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness and that it's passing away. Wisdom in this world has no root It has no foundation. It's not rooted in absolute truth. That's what Brother Brock read in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 through 21. Paul said this, he says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Friends, the philosophies of the world are exactly that. What the world needs is the sure, complete, inerrant word of God. Now, going on to address those who believe The same pastor, Rick Phillips, says this about unbelievers. He says, I'm sorry, about believers. He says, if we, church, want the fire of God to burn in us, let us remember the words of the downcast disciples whom Jesus had taught on the road to Emmaus. Afterwards, they said, did our hearts not burn within us when he opened up to us the scriptures? While spectacular displays and spiritual highs are not enough to carry us through our trials, the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ as he is comprehended in the scriptures is more than enough for us. Christians are often going through life looking for more. We want signs, gifts, and wonders. Friends, if you really want to experience a spiritual high in this world, get in the Word of God. And you know what? You know that if you're a Christian. Because you can look back and see at the times where you were flying the highest with Christ, it was the time where you really were in the Word of God where you are submitting sin under the authority of the word of God and you are allowing the word of God to penetrate your heart and mold you into the image of Christ. I really believe you know that. But how often do we need to be reminded? Because when sin enters into our lives and we all wrestle and struggle with sin, I think the first thing the enemy does is cause us distract us from wanting to be in the word because he knows that's where the power is at friends it's more than enough that's where we need to be the word of God and that's where we will meet the Lord that's where we'll be encouraged and grown in our faith see the desire for more revelation that God has provided is a form of unbelief isn't it The answer to this problem is not to be found in getting more revelation than we already have. Rather, the solution is found in the response that Jesus gave to Philip. Let's look at that now. Jesus responds. That's the third thing we see here. Jesus responds. Now, as Jesus responds, he responds in the way we would expect our loving king, gracious father to respond. He responds in a gracious rebuke. You ever been graciously rebuked? It's a humbling thing, isn't it? And yet this is exactly what Philip experienced. Verse 9 says this. Jesus said to him, being Philip, Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say Show us the Father. That's a mild rebuke, isn't it? Again, Jesus had been with them for over three years by this time, three years. And from the beginning of this ministry, he has set out to teach them how he and the Father are one in essence. This is something he really wanted his disciples to know. However, what we see here is that our Lord is patient with Philip and proceeds to minister to his heart. And let me just say this. As Jesus was patient with his slow-to-learn disciples, friends, church, family, we need to follow him in his example and being patient with one another, don't we? Hear me when I say this. Not everybody grows in their understanding of the word of God at the same rate. Not everybody has the same measure of faith. And you know what I love about Christianity? I think every Christian ought to grow to have a deeper faith every day. I think it ought to be something we desire, something we long for. And I think if you're a true Christian, you will desire to have a deeper faith. But listen to me. I love this about Christianity. You don't have to have a particularly deep faith in order to be in Christ. You simply need to have true faith. That's it. That's sufficient. The Lord promises that he will not break off a bruised reed or the smoldering wick. If there is just some evidence that we belong to him, it can be fanned into a flame by God's grace. Not only was Jesus' response a gracious rebuke, though, it was actually also an extremely simple and small answer. Jesus simply says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is telling Philip that he and the Father are one. Again, now now speaking of this revelation, this difficult doctrine of the Trinity we all experience, J. Adams tells us this. He says that there is an identity that the two, God the Son, God the Father, share as God. To see one and to see him at work is to see the other as well. They are so closely identified that no one may separate the two. That is how it is that you can look at Jesus and also see the Father. They are so intertwined, they have the same mind and same heart. They are God. Now, if you think about that for just a moment, what Jesus is saying here can only be true if he is in fact God. That's because we know that the scriptures teach that the Father is God and we also know that the scriptures teach that God is one. The Father is God and God is one. That's impressed upon us very early in the scriptures. The only way for us to see the Father in Jesus is if he and the Father are one in essence. Now in saying this, in talking about the Trinity, we've always got to be really careful, don't we? because this is where we get in trouble our hearts want to go a little bit deeper to understand this thing to be able to really explain this thing on human terms and the problem with that is you can fall into heresy pretty quick you've got to be careful Sadly, too many groups, even so-called Christian groups, have tried to get their mind around the aspects of Jesus being God, of the Father being God, the Holy Spirit being God, and some have erred and come to the conclusion, as they're trying to humanly rationalize these things, that Jesus isn't really God. Others have erred in teaching that Jesus is not a distinct person from god the father they are so-called christians today that believe that jesus was merely a mode in which god the father revealed himself in other words they believe that jesus is not a person distinct from the father that jesus is merely a form that god the father took in order to reveal himself to his people They also believe that all the manifestations of the Spirit in the Scriptures are to be understood as other modes or other forms that God took in order to manifest Himself to His creation. Now, let's just simplify this, right? When we talk about the Trinity, let's simplify it. We know better than this, don't we? Are there more gods than one? No. There is only one true God. How many persons in which that God... Does he exist? Three. And three persons. What are they? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you an example, okay? Uh, So this microphone is, is is, is being, right? Because it's existing. There is a microphone here that exists, right? You all see this, right? Okay, good. But this microphone is limited in its being to being one being. And you know what else this microphone is missing? A personhood. This mic doesn't have a personality of its own. It doesn't have a name. It doesn't have traits or character flaws in any way, shape, or form. It's just an existent microphone. Now, myself, God has created me in such that I am one being, although I'm expanding to the size of two beings, but I am one being, and I have one personhood attached to me. I'm Cody Page. That's my name. That's the name of my person. Now, there are medical examples of people sharing two personhoods. It's called schizophrenia. But in that time, they are not able to be both people at the same time. They are limited in the way they are created to being one being and one person at any given time. God the Father is one being, one essence, and He is able, because He's God, to exist in three. Three persons all at the same time being distinct from one another yet one in essence that's the best way i can explain it to you and hopefully that's not heresy but uh every time you talk about the trinity it seems you're getting close but that's it this is what jesus explained is is we are one in essence and three in persons the father the son the holy ghost the same in substance equal in power glory listen to me we note that jesus didn't dismiss Philip here for his lack of understanding this is a wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ instead what he does is he directs Philip to his remedy for the misunderstanding the remedy for his doubts in verses 10 11 and this is where we find Jesus giving the command the command and the remedy to believe in me that's the fourth thing we see the last thing we see in this text The command and the remedy to believe him. Look at verses 10 and 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. On the first order... Jesus commands us to believe in him because of his word he says believe me believe what I'm saying believe my word now let me just stop right there and tell you that Jesus ought to be believed simply because of who he is because he's God When Jesus says something, he is to be believed as God because he is God. If if God tells us to believe something, even if it's beyond our own ability to fully comprehend and understand, even if it goes against what we in our human minds are able to rationalize, we ought to believe his word because he's God. Can you fathom how it is that God could speak all things into existence by the word of his power out of nothing and create all things in the span of six days? Can you fathom that? Can you get your mind around that? No way. But we believe it because God's word says it. There are many truths in God's word's God's word like that, where you simply have to believe because he said it, you can't wrestle, you're too finite, you're not God, you can't possibly fully understand what he has to say. His wisdom and intelligence, they are past the point of being found out. Surely he knows far better than we could ever imagine. He's infinite, plus he cannot lie. So there's no good reason not to not believe what Jesus says. Jesus commands us to believe him And his word. Gordon Ketty sums up the matter well in his commentary when he says this. He says, what have they heard from Jesus? Were his words not self-evidently of divine providence? No idle words came from the lips of Jesus. This is verbal inspiration in its exactness and purity. Every word is the very word of God that came out of his mouth. Think about that. Every single word that came out of the mouth of Christ was the word of God. So we are to believe him because he's God. We are to believe his word because he's God. And secondly, Jesus goes on to say that if you won't believe my word, then believe me because of my works. In other words, if we have a hard time believing because of his word, he tells us to believe in him because of his works, of what he's done. His works that affirm who he is, that is firm that his word is true. Now, please note, Jesus, his point in this, for putting it this way, was not to simply say, to ask of a display of supernatural power. Those are the kinds of things that you need in order to prove convincing. That's not his point. Rather, his point in putting it this way is to remind us that the miracles Every miracle he has done, all the signs and wonders are all to point to who he is and why he ought to be believed. See, when people consider the miracles that Christ has done, his turning water into wine, his feeding of the 5,000 with just a few loaves of fish, his making the lame to walk and the blind to see, his raising people from the dead, how they were done in fulfillment of Scripture and how they were signs that God has come into this world as a man in order to redeem his people from their sins. It's then when we comprehend all of that that we start to understand what the purposes of those works are. Those miracles, those signs, they're all a signpost. That's why John's reason for including these things in his gospel is when when you see a sign and it's telling you that two miles from now you are going to hit such and such a city and your plan is to go to that city, you're going to follow that sign, it's going to take you to the city. Likewise, the signs Jesus performed are meant to point us in the right direction of understanding who he is. Now, now when the works and miracles of Jesus are read and understood in their proper light, they all point to his deity, his godness. They point to the fact that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, each with a particular role to fill in redeeming us. But each have the same heart and mind to accomplish this gracious work because they're all of the same essence and substance. That is why Jesus says, if we can't simply take his word for it, we ought to at least consider his works, how they're one with the Father and their unified work of redemption. Well, now we come to the conclusion and it's brief. The conclusion of all of this is something we've said all along. And it's something I really want to leave you with. It's that God's revelation is sufficient. God's revelation is sufficient. Friend, listen to me. Everything that you need for life and godliness is contained in the word of God. You don't need an outside source. You need God's word. Outside sources than their own, they're not evil. But I think our culture is beginning to shift where we rely more on outside sources than we do the word of God. Friend, it's always where we go to first. God's revelation to us, it's sufficient. It's enough for you. We don't need to go chasing after signs and miracles to discover what God's will may be for our lives. We don't need to seek signs and wonders to be strengthened in our faith. We don't need to produce compelling signs and wonders to cause unbelievers to believe. In all these areas, God's word alone is sufficient. It's sufficient enough to lead us, to direct us in everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's sufficient to strengthen us in our faith. It's sufficient to convert when accompanied by God's spirit. So the question is, Where is your time in the word of God? Because many of you are probably dealing with with several of these questions. You either want to be strengthened as a Christian. You are either at a point where you need to know God's revealed will for your life. And I love you. I I would love to counsel you. But if you come to me, my first question is always going to be, how is your time in the word? Because that's where you need to go first. Friends, let us be a people who really don't just say the word of God is sufficient, but we believe the word of God is sufficient. Amen? By God's help and his grace, I pray he gets us there. Would you stand and let's join our hearts together in prayer. As we consider your word, we are thankful. We are thankful that you have decided to reveal yourself to us. So, Lord, for the Christian here who may be at times asking that same question my daughter asked, Lord, what else? What else do you have for me besides your word? Oh, Father, I pray they'd be graciously rebuked by you and your word and turn to the sufficiency of Scripture. That, Lord, they'd reach out to a neighbor or somebody who's maybe more mature in their faith, to ask them, can you disciple me in the word? Can you study the word with me? I need more of the word. Lord, you'd grow them in their faith. Father, for the unbelievers, you may be here today. Lord, there's no, there's no compelling evidence, even though there is tons of compelling evidence of God. There's, there's nothing science can give that could prove whatever they want. That could prove someone into heaven. Father, they are in desperate need of faith. And Lord, as we know, you are the one who grants faith. So we ask you this morning, if there's someone here who's an unbeliever, that you would grant them saving faith. And that you would turn their hearts towards you, and they'd be saved. Father, you know exactly what we need, and we trust you to give us exactly that.